0: Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible weekly leader training podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Robert Timms. He is the ongoing curriculum strategist for LifeWay, so Robert, most of us are going to call you Rob as well. Thank you for joining us today for this, uh, this examination of Session 5, Philippians 4, 1 through 9.
1: Yeah, Rob's great, Dwayne. Thank you. Thank you, you for bet. having
0: me. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 of Philippians 4, short section of verses. You know, you think about that's it, just nine verses, but there is a lot of stuff here. The main point uh, for this particular lesson, the thing we're going to be focusing on, is that we as believers find joyous peace through Christ, even in the midst of turmoil. We've got four outline points in these nine verses, so let me just walk through those. The first one is verses one, which we've just entitled, Stand. In this verse, Paul directed the Philippian believers to stand firm in their faith, similar to the way a Roman soldier would stand when under assault. Paul identified the believers as being clearly loved brothers and sisters and friends. The main idea for us here is that we need to, that that, is, that standing firm brings joy to other believers. In verses two through three, we've entitled that Unite, because in these verses, Paul called on the believers to urge Euodia and Synthiki to put aside their differences and unite. He noted that these two women had worked with him and others in contending for the gospel. The idea here for us is that we as believers need to be at peace with each other so we can help each other. The third point is pray, which is in verses 4 through 7. Here, Paul encourages his readers to rejoice in God at all times, whether good or bad. Instead of worrying about the outcome, believers are to approach God through prayer, knowing that doing so produces a surpassing peace. The idea for us is that peace is found through prayer in God in all things. The last point, verses 8 and 9, we've entitled that Dwell. In these verses, Paul encouraged his readers to let their minds dwell on the truth of God. Looking for the things that are morally excellent and praiseworthy, Paul presented himself as an example of focusing on the truth, realizing that doing so leads to peace. So those four points are stand, unite, pray, and dwell. I mentioned the military term in verse one, Rob, uh, where he uses the, this idea to stand firm, but he also uses the word guard. Uh, help us understand more fully these terms he's used uh, for, uh, that are related to the military.
1: Yeah, certainly. You know, one of the interesting things that's uh, about Philippi is that it was a Roman military community, um, so similar to like Clovis, New Mexico, or Jacksonville, North Carolina, in the United States. Oh, yeah. So. You know, in Philippi, you've got no shortage of shoulder soldiers that are citizens, and you also more than likely have no shortage of soldiers who are members of this church, and at least the members of the church are at least familiar with all of those uh kinds of terms. So crown, guard, stand firm. You know, these aren't arbitrary words by Paul. They're not even just purely rhetorical. They're they're really pastoral. You know, Paul loves these. People and he wants to communicate the gospel with them and the implications of the gospel to a way that's really good for their heart. And so it's really cool that he uses these words. So, you know, like crown. You know, this is a reference to a garland, which certainly was were worn by athletes, but also by soldiers. So if a soldier had a certain achievement in the line of duty, he could be given this garland to wear. And so Paul's saying something like, you know, that feeling as a soldier that when you Receive this this crown, this garland, and recognition of your growth and achievement. You know, he's saying to the Philippian church, "You're my garland. You know, you're my crown. You represent the fruit of my labor. And when I think about you, it's a joyful thing." Um, and this phrase, "stand firm," you know, which for a Roman soldier would would conjure up an image of holding the line of progress that you've made. Um, not giving back ground that you've gained, and of course, Paul means it spiritually. And then, you know, down in verse seven, you've got this term guard, um, which I found to be really cool. If um, it's, you know, Paul uses it within the context of, of prayer here in the passage, and it's in response to anxiety and worry. You know, Paul says that in prayer, God's peace will guard our hearts. Um, and this is a phrase that's a reference to troops being on patrol. You know, So in the same way that a, that a troop or a group of troops that are on patrol guarding the perimeter of a camp and alerting to danger and dealing with that danger, that's what God's peace does to our hearts. So it's on patrol for our hearts and we get that through prayer. So I just love how pastoral these, these terms are. The, the, he's not using them just rhetorically, um, he's using them pastorally and, they, and it really resonates when you think about it in those terms.
0: Yeah, one, one of the early converts in Philippi would have been the Philippian jailer. Um, oh, that's true.
1: Very good. Yes. So
0: I can imagine and we don't know he was there when the letter was first received and read, but I can imagine he would have been. It most likely he would have been. Uh, can you imagine the the thoughts that went through his mind as he's hearing Paul talk about guarding and standing firm and knowing that, at least in the back of his mind, hey, y'all he's talking about my people. Right?
1: He is. And, and, and Paul also sat behind those, those guards and in oh, yeah. those chains and, and was using them for his own heart as well, I imagine.
0: Yeah. I and mean, it would make sense. He mentions a dispute here between two church members uh, and he wants them to get it straight. Um, how do disputes get in the way of peace in a church body?
1: Yeah, I, You know, I don't, I don't certainly don't want to speak for for you or any of our our listeners, but I I would, I'm willing to gamble if I were a gambling man that pretty much every Christian has experienced some sort of dispute or conflict in their congregation. Um, And the specific reasons for that, you know, are, are legion. But, you know, from this text, I think we can definitively say that the disputes disrupt peace in the church. To the extent that the people in the church are willfully refusing to submit to the lordship of Jesus, and I, let me let me kind of explain where I'm where I'm pulling that from. So you might miss it if you're just doing a quick reading of Philippians, but up to this point in the letter, you know there there have been a few indicators that there's some disagreement in the in the congregation, right? So back in mm-hmm. chapter one, verse nine, he, Paul says, "I want your love to to keep on growing," which is to say i realize you guys are getting along but i want you to grow closer together right or in verse 27 uh, chapter 1 he's like i want you to live your life worthy of the gospel stand firm in one spirit one accord contending together which is to say maybe they're not which is why you have this admonition here then chapter 2 uh verse 2 i want you to think the same way i want you to have the same love i want you to be united and so there's clearly something brewing behind the scenes. Um, And it's really in chapter four where we get there, right? We had this source of disunity, um, a dispute between these these two women um, who were great women. They're contenders for the faith alongside Paul, like he affirms them and who they are, but there's still, there's this dispute. And Paul's solution, this is what I was trying to get to, Paul's solution is that they agree in the Lord. It's a beautiful, simple phrase, right? Just in submission to the Lordship of Christ, I want you to agree. Um, and so it's those who live within the sphere of Christ's Lordship, it's those people who are equipped to overcome uh, that kind of uh, disunity that would that would disrupt, disrupt the church. So peace comes in submission to the Lord, Lord Jesus.
0: And I'd have to think Paul, not only knew of what the conflict was, he knew these, these two ladies pretty, pretty close or so he wouldn't be able to name them as such, But I think it also says to me when I read this that he was confident by naming them that they would get it worked out some way because they didn't want to be a problem. They didn't want to be a hindrance to what God was trying to do in Philippi. Spot on, yes. Um, You you see these ideas too, and I think this may be a one piece of that too, is how that um, disunity would have impacted prayer, which is a key piece in this section. Verses four through seven talks a lot about prayer here. And it comes right on the end of that call for those two ladies to get things straight. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm wondering, you know, if that's an issue, but one thing I I see here when I'm looking at verse six is he uses the words prayer, petitions, and requests. Um, I tend to think of those all three things as the same thing, but I don't know that that was true. Uh, Are these things different or are they the same way of saying something different?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question, because I, I, I'm reflecting on my own conversations and my own personal prayers and public prayers. And I, I think in a lot of circles, these are all synonyms, right, that we, we use yeah. these words interchangeably when we're talking about prayer, maybe uh, getting into specific nuances. But so I don't think we'd be incorrect to use the terms that way. But I I have found it helpful to think um, of these terms kind of like a diamond with different facets. Uh, on it. So if you you take that first word in the in the in the verse 6 translated prayer, uh, prosuke, if you take that word as the diamond, which is kind of getting at the idea of prayer as an act of worship, an act of devotion, then you can get to the other words, um, petitions and requests as kind of facets on that diamond. So petition might be like a a, a prayer for one's personal needs in general and then you can get even more granular with the word request, put a really finer point on it and get to that very specific, precise thing that you're asking. So so you can see, right, how those would be synonyms in some some cases, in some conversations. Um, but I think Paul's point here is to pray as an act of devotion. And if you are praying in an act of devotion, you will have request and you will have specific things that you want to talk to the Lord and hear from the Lord on in your in your prayer. and, I, and I'm sure that this dispute Uh, between these two women would have been one of those things
0: yeah you mentioned as a diamond usually i think of a diamond as something that's got a larger top on it and it's it funnels down to a point at the bottom would it be safe for us to say that prayer may be that top part of the diamond that's real broad and then petitions might be getting a little bit more narrow and then request would be very 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 narrow at the at the tip of that diamond
1: Yes, absolutely. So okay. I would use a funnel analogy for that. Sure. Um, uh, and at the same way you, you might say, well, you know, Paul is is floating around the um, the word prayer or the idea of prayer. And he's looking at it from this angle and then he's looking at it over here from this angle and he's seeing different. nuances to. it. I think both of those are really helpful well, well, good. In getting at what Paul means here.
0: Are there any rules for prayer that we need to be aware of as we're looking at this passage? Yeah,
1: well, well, uh, you know, there are there are there's a lot of things we can pull about prayer here. I uh, obviously I don't I don't know that this this one text is going to do everything that we want it to do to to sure. get to the idea of prayer here, um, but I do find it fascinating that after the phrase the 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 Lord is near, that's when Paul goes on to exhort the congregation to prayer. So you have the mm-hmm. Lord is near, and I want you to to pray. So um my wife handed me a book several uh months ago about paul miller called the praying life and yes. um, in, in this book he says you know prayer is a moment of incarnation it's god with us it's god involved in the details of our of our lives and i i think that's at least one rule of prayer that paul is advocating for here in the text that that when we pray we are living with a very real sense of God's nearness to us. And, that's, and prayer fosters that, and prayer is the experience of, of that. So I think that's one rule we can pull out
0: on prayer from this text. We are told that prayer leads to God's peace in verses 6 and 7. But yet in verses 8, we're told that doing leads to his peace, and so does dwelling. Um, Those in verses 8 and 9, you have the dwelling and doing, both noted as leading to God's peace is it all of them doing it? Is it one of them? Uh, help us think through the, Paul saying that this will lead to peace, and he gives us three different ways to get there. This gets back
1: to what I was talking about earlier when I, when I say believing prayer. Like, I mean, believing God prayer, which, which would require truth that we speak to ourselves, which I think is what Paul is getting at with the word dwelling and truth that we act on, right? Which is which is um, what Paul means by do. So to try and put these together, if, if we're talking to God and we're practicing being in his presence through prayer, um, then that's going to lead us to dwell or speak truth to ourselves about God, about the character of God, about the sovereignty of God, about the love of God, about the gospel. And if we do that, we'll also in turn be acting on it Um, And so what marvelous Trinitarian goodness is that, right? That that praying, dwelling, and acting, I can't imagine a more peaceful life than one who is practicing the presence of God in prayer, speaking truth to oneself, and acting on it.
0: There are a lot of different teaching ideas here that are included that really help this lesson come together. You know, you have the Philippians 4-6 as the memory verse. There's some ideas in the leader guide for working with that. One thing that's not in the book that I thought might be interesting to do is by looking at verse 8, um, the things we're to dwell on. Um, if you were to lead the group to do antonyms, things we shouldn't dwell on, uh, by, by just walking through that verse to give, you, to give us an idea of how many times we go the opposite direction than what we should be going so that we know what we should dwell on. In the options in the leader guide, there is this idea of a word search. And what we're being directed to do in that idea is to gather Bible concordances and then find entries about the word peace using the Bible concordance. And we look at the scenarios and instructions where we're urged to seek peace uh, uh, in the middle of difficult circumstances because the folks in Philippi are facing some challenges. Uh, That can help us get some context and a deeper understanding of what this word peace means, because the whole passage uh, is pointing to not just them living at peace, but them experiencing peace Mm -hmm. uh, as they stand, unite, pray, and dwell, that those things all contribute to them having peace, and that's how they find joy, even in the middle of a mess that they may be in, whether that's caused by them or caused by somebody else. And one thing that I'm thinking about doing is ending my group time by us doing that word search by us having Bible concordances. We may have them digitally, or there's a couple of them that are printed that I have access to. I may get them from our, our church library uh, and, and hand them to the group so they can see what it's like to touch one and feel one that actually has paper and smell the ink, as opposed to just looking on a computer screen or smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> and in the group time by, by us, pointing out these are the things, you know, that we we talk about, we want peace, and here's what Paul says to this congregation, if you want peace, these are the things you need to do, and then us, us kind of using that last thing, that that examination of the word peace in Bible concordance to help us get, uh, uh, to tie a bow on the whole lesson, and then move from there to the summarizing challenge. Um, Robert, there's some other things that you would point out to, anything else that you would want highlight for our group from these verses verses one through nine of philippians four
1: well i i just i just find it interesting that verse nine really does kind of tie up uh neatly with a bow the issue that's being raised in in verse one and uh excuse me with verse two with regard to the dispute and the lack of fellowship and the break of community that's taking place you know so you would think that that maybe perhaps one way to look at it would be to say oh if there's this dispute they should They should just separate you know for a time and not really deal with each other let's just let sleeping dogs lie and not really work through this and not have a a life of community together that that a way to have unity would be to just pretend like the disunity never took place and paul says no 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 no. look verse 9 i want you to what you've learned and received and heard from me seen in me um, it is to say that we we learn from each other in relationship with one another, You that we look to each other and do life together as models for the gospel together. So I think I think verse nine is a great place to land practically um, to to help end some of the disunity that might be taking place in a Sunday school class, small group or a church at home.
0: Wouldn't it have been interesting to have been there that day and. That, that letter's being read to the congregation. Hey, y'all, Paul, and word gets out. Everybody knows, Paul, there's a letter that's arrived to the church from Paul. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody, everybody who has any type of connection to that church is going to be there, because this is from Paul. They get there, and, and it's being read. It's being talked about. And then it gets to this point, and name one is read. Everybody looks. And, and then <laughs> the other name is read. Everybody looks. And then Clement is told, okay, and you're, you're going to have to help them work through this. Uh, I would venture to say, as soon as this letter was over uh, being read, that those three people got together and business got taken care of. I, I think you're probably right. Absolutely, it would have. It, I would have loved to have been sitting there watching the look on faces when they're when names are starting to be mentioned by Paul.
1: As long as it's not your name being read, Dwayne, I bet. Oh I yeah, would have been that, if I'm yeah.
0: because <laughs> yeah. then, because then there's just like, I'm glad you didn't hear about me. Um, <laughs> Rob, Rob, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate it. Um, From time to time on the podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family. We mentioned the Leader Pack, Adult Commentary, and Quick Source, just to name a few. You can find out more about all the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. That's goexplorethebible.com. Thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you will join us next week. We'll be looking at Session 6. Bob Bone will be joining me. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 20 of Philippians 4 and focusing on the idea that Contentment is found in God's eternal presence.